Good evening, everyone. I'm Anne-Marie Cronin, and welcome to our live weekly medical radio show on News Talk 760 WJR. We're going to be talking about the prevention of disease and the urgency of taking action before the onset of serious medical problems. Dr. Brian Collander, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention, is with us again to tell you what you need to know about how early screening and knowing your profile can lead to the avoidance of heart attack and stroke altogether. Pre-screening and simple non-invasive tests can actually prevent Alzheimer's and many other chronic diseases. If you have a question, we're opening up the lines and taking your calls, so please make a note of this number, 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. We'll be repeating it throughout the show, but this is your chance to talk directly to the doctor. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back, all of your listeners, to our live weekly medical radio show here on News Talk 760 WJR. I'm Anne-Marie Cronin, and we are back again tonight to talk to you about prevention and why you have to start looking at health care from a different pers- perspective. Dr. Brian Collander, MD, is joining us from Birmingham, Michigan, to give us some hard talk about dealing with our health and making sure we get the necessary testing. We're inviting you to call in if you have a question at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. We are waiting patiently and looking forward to your calls. Um, Dr. Collender, welcome. Everything you say on the radio, the news that you give us is always up to date. It's always pertinent. It's stuff that we need to hear. We might not want to hear it, but we need to hear it. So welcome again to the show. Thank you. Well, I thought we'd talk about a little today that um, we're seeing more and more vaccination approval emergency use for children under the age of 17. And um, I'm going to call this unfortunate, in my opinion, because um, a lot of the data supports that children seem to be um, able to ward off the virus on their own. They have better immune systems, that they have fewer, you know, long-term complications. And also the data supports that the vaccines just aren't that effective in kids under 17. So is it mandatory now to get into school? This is a path toward being mandatory. But it's not mandatory yet. But it's on that path. And you mentioned during the break, Anne-Marie, that, well, we didn't have choices to get, you know, MMR, polio, the difference between this vaccine and polio those... wasn't even around, though. It wasn't even around. It had been eradicated long before. So. Well, but still, there's a difference. The difference is that these vaccines were studied for years, and we had the opportunity to study their side effects and complications for years so that we understood that they worked and that they were safe. This version of vaccine has only been around for a couple of years. The virus that we're using to treat has mutated beyond recognition to where the vaccine has no real impact on what's happening to us today. And there's mountains of publicly available data showing vaccine injuries and deaths. And this isn't me pointing to the VAERS data or saying hearsay, this is In the public domain, the FDA has released um, data discussing, you know, and showing how injurious this vaccine can be. 
So this is completely different from the history of vaccines and giving it to kids who really have no harm from the disease and they may have harm from the virus. I'm sorry, they may have harm from the vaccine is really scary. I mean, it's, it's very, I'm frightened. Well, it's not mandatory yet, but before we run out of time, we've got a caller. Uh, Ashley, who's the caller? Are you with us, Greg? Are you out there? Yeah, so uh, you guys, uh, okay, hey, thanks for taking my call, Mr. Positive. Hey, Dr. Collender, Anne-Marie, that's some good stuff you're talking about. Let the body work, even, the, even when you're young. But the question I have for you, surgeries in general, is it the last resort to do surgery, number one, predicated upon infections? Number two, does oxygen make a tumor grow once you open up someone's body? And I, I just, people get surgeries left and right, and they just feel like they get sick or they get infections. What do you say about surgeries, my friend? Well, well, thanks for calling, but that's really too broad of a question because, you know, if you have an accident or an injury, you need surgery to repair it. You know, if, uh, if you're doing an elective surgery for cosmetic reasons, that's a choice to have cosmetic surgery. Um, from my perspective, when we're dealing with a medical problem that's advancing toward end organ disease, surgery is the last resort. I try to do everything we can to treat something medically, um, you know, from our perspective of being cardiovascular preventive experts, medical management is always better than surgery, whether it's a procedure like a stent or bypass. So there's data now supporting that aggressive medical management is as good as having a stent or having bypass for people with unstable angina. So why not just go ahead and do medical management and avoid the risk of the surgery? Because medical management is going to affect or positively affect the whole body. The surgery is only impacting the half-inch area of your arteries that are, impact, that are causing the flow obstruction. But also, thanks for calling, Greg, but also, you know, my comment here is I think that a lot of listeners are wondering what's medical management. Well, you know, medical management is lifestyle, medications, um, you know, and other identifying other conditions that cause plaque. So, you know, in the studies, I would say they use average medical management, which is really smoking cessation, nutrition, and exercise. In my practice, medical management means looking at genetics, sleep health, oral health, medications, lipids, identifying insulin resistance, gut health. You know, we look at a very comprehensive um, and broad, uh, you know, table of uh, data to identify other risks that need to be addressed for prevention. Right. So let's come back and talk about that a little bit more on the other side of the break. Again, you are listening to our weekly live medical radio show where we keep you up to date on all medical solutions from dealing with COVID to avoiding catastrophic disease. We're here with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, talking about prevention. If you have a specific question and you would like to talk to the doctor directly about what you need to do to prevent or reverse disease, please call us at 800 859 
That's 800-859-0957. You're listening to News Talk 760 WJR. If you're just now joining us, I'd like to let you know that we're welcoming you to our special weekly medical radio show on News Talk 760 WJR. We're back again with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention in Birmingham, Michigan. After 20 years in practice and watching patients die prematurely and unnecessarily, he's here tonight to give us some hard advice on what we need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke altogether. We're inviting listeners to call in with your questions at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, we're coming back asking you, what is the average listener who is also a consumer supposed to do you know well we're still talking about greg's question you know about you know what do you do with surgery and so you know i have a colleague who you know had some abdominal pain goes to an emergency room they do a cat scan and she's got a mass and held overnight just because there's a mass and pain and um unclear what it is she wakes up in the morning and there's a surgeon who already booked an or time and is telling her, hey, let's go in and get that out. And thankfully, she's a doctor and knew, don't touch me. I got to figure out what it is you're taking out because it oh. might be the wrong decision. Unfortunately, most listeners might go, yeah, let's go get it out and get me home. And sometimes but you know why? it can it's because be they're afraid, Because they are afraid and because of the God complex. Well, it's bad medicine and it's taking advantage of people to just walk in and say, hey, let's take this mass out without telling the person the right thing to do. Um, the listener should go home, you know, if it's not an infection or something that's going to cause them to die right then and there or next week, and get some opinions. And I don't necessarily just mean a surgical, another surgical opinion, but see an oncologist, radiation oncologist, a gastro, you know, depending on the area, a doctor for that area to figure out what it is you have and what's the best approach is because, you know, you don't want to make that kind of decision on the fly. And for a surgeon to walk in the ER um, in the morning when you've got a mass and they've already booked an OR, that's right. a sign to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's kind of dodgy. I mean, you have to be smart enough to know that what you have is, is it, is it really truly a dangerous thing to leave? I mean, is your, are you going to be in jeopardy if you leave? And again, that's the, again, we come back to the God complex, you know, you know, going into a hospital, being seen by a guy with a white coat, who's a surgeon with a stethoscope around his neck, telling you, Hey, we booked an OR, you need to have this taken out. I would say 90% of the people are not going to say, well, why do I need to have it taken out? What is well, it? What's unfortunately the- that person, you know, that person would have died, probably died on the table when they didn't need to, you know, because, um, you know, and there's a lot of doctors, who, you know, the groups are in the area that I've stopped using because it feels like they already have ORs booked for every appointment. You know, right. you know, That's oh, you got a one o'clock, I got an OR next week. And, you know, and all my patients are getting surgeries for this one specific specialty every time they walk in the door. And I've stopped sending there because they don't need that many surgeries. And so in general, you don't, you want to not have surgery. You don't want the anesthesia you know, then again, you have an injury, you have a, you know, orthopedic type thing. A lot of times you need it. Well, if it's necessary. Right. That's the, right. The, there, therein lies the difference. But before we run out of time, Ashley, you have a caller? Yes. We have David calling from Windsor. David, what's your question? Yes. My question, and I hate to burden you with that again, 
in regards to COVID shots. Many times, like in, in summer, res summer resorts, like they want you to get the COVID shot before you can attend that resort. I'm speaking about the one that's north of Toronto, north of Toronto, in the Muskokas, and every every any other place. And now, and also they to uh, to go to a school reunion where just out just about 170 miles away from here, which is around Brantford. They want you to do the same thing before you can attend a reunion school reunion. This is getting to be a little bit far fetched. One of these days, they're going to have to really figure out. Is this really realistic about these vaccines after I'm hearing so many, so many reactions people can get from these things, and you can, especially when you're healthy enough that you don't really need them. Many people have actually gotten sick from the vaccine, gotten COVID from the vaccine, and actually have passed away and what have you. What can you suggest about that? Well, David, not a burden to take the call and answer the question. And um, unfortunately, the doctors who are on the FDA board making the vaccine-related decisions are also being paid by pharmaceutical companies and their day job. So their day job is to be consultants for pharmaceutical com companies, and then they get handpicked to sit on the FDA you know, decision and advisory boards. What are they going to do? they're going to make a decision that benefits the people that pay their day job. And that is why the influence that the pharmaceutical companies have on the FDA and, and now, unfortunately, the CDC are overwhelmingly bad. You know, that science is being completely ignored. And that's why I open the show with, you know, it's disappointing that the FDA and the CDC are going ahead with allowing vaccines to a group of people, meaning young adults, and I'm going to say young adults should be expanded to people under 40, with vaccines that really don't have a serious impact on the disease that they're treating, and vaccines that probably have major side effects based on data that's being released by the FDA itself. And the fact that this is being just ignored completely and it's being moving forward so how do you go and visit your resort? And frankly, you know, David, we have a, a camp, um, you know, three hours north of Toronto also that I don't know if we're going to get to because, as you know, I'm not fully vaccinated. So um, I just don't know how we're going to get there and we want to go. Uh, I'm afraid to go into Canada because I don't know if I'm going to get there or if I'm going to get back. What do you mean by you're not fully? You are vaccinated. I'm not fully vaccinated. What's fully vaccinated? I'm not boosted. So that's a requirement also that you're boosted? You, this is what David's calling about is you've got to be vaccinated. I mean, when you do these things, the assumption is you're fully vaccinated. That's what they've changed the definition of what being vaccinated is. Mm -hmm. It's not just getting your initial doses two years ago. Right. It's that you get the boosters because mm -hmm. we already know that those vaccines wore out. But who cares? I had COVID and natural immunity in every study is better than any kind of vaccinated immunity. And there's countries there's in Africa that have had no vaccines and they have 80% natural immunity. How many kids under 20 or, or under 40 even have natural immunity and they're being mandated to get vaccines for a disease that they already have natural immunity for with vaccines that have questionable safety data? You talk about 
Amory, we're consumers and we have a choice. You need to understand what your risk is of getting a, of a disease. We know what the risk of getting polio and, and MMR vaccines are. Again, I'm not talking about autism and things like that. That's another conversation. But those study, you know, that's out there and, and we have a better understanding. These vaccines are too new. They're already causing problems and they should have been shelved with the first 30 deaths. But there's thousands of deaths and they're still being administered. It's really horrifying. Well, it's kind of a scary thought to think about the fact that within the younger people population, a lot of these young kids have gotten COVID, didn't know they had it because they had no sense. I know a lot of people whose kids got it, they tested, they had it. They weren't sick for even a day. They had no, they, they wouldn't have known that they got it if they weren't tested because someone else in their family got it. So if they're able to fight it off because of their own natural immunity, they're not really in danger. And especially now, this this new strain of COVID is just not that dangerous. And seems like the young people are able to fight it off a lot easier. So I'm not really sure why they need to make it mandatory at all. Exactly. Why? And you always go, well, what's the motive? And the motive is money. And the people making these decisions are being paid. Their job is from pharmacists. They make money from pharmaceutical companies. They're handpicked to sit on these boards. Handpicked. Sad situation. Well, right now we've got to take a, a quick break. Again, you're listening to a special live medical broadcast on the prevention and medical management of disease. If you have a specific question and you'd like to talk to the doctor directly about what you need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke, or you have a question on any of the subjects we're discussing tonight, please give us a call at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. You're listening to News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to our special live medical broadcast on News Talk 760 WJR. We are fortunate to have Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention, here tonight to give us some straight talk about two important topics, prevention and being proactive. Please tune in to our weekly shows Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. and live Thursday at 7. We're inviting you to call in with your questions and talk to the doctor directly at 800 8590957 again that's 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender let's come back to our discussion about the mandate for vaccines on young people and talk to us a little bit about population medicine. Well, you know, these are decisions that are being put out to everybody to protect a few. And there's no question that people who are at high risk should be uh, candidates for getting the vaccine, knowing what we know now. Now, what we knew in 2020, 2021, different story. We had a new virus. People were dying left and right. Hospital ICUs are filled. They're running out of ventilators. Another problem. You know, and then vaccines were probably keeping people alive. But now we've had the vaccines mutate and they no longer the virus have, mutate. Thank you. The virus has mutated. We really have, <clears throat> it's a totally different disease. It's basically a common cold. Right. Granted, it's mm -hmm. a common cold that you can get over and over and over again mm -hmm. because it keeps changing mm -hmm. and we don't get as immune to Omicron BA as to BA2, but it still is just a cold 
that you get over mm-hmm. and whether or not it causes uh, long COVID or not, I think we don't know. But we do know that these vaccines are really not helping anybody not get Omicron, not necessarily keeping them out of the hospital. I think the biggest problem still with hospitalizations is lack of access to care. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have a doctor and you don't have anyone to call to explain what your symptoms are, well, then you're going to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then you're getting treatments that are totally ineffective, like remdesivir and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a sad situation to be in, but what do we do about it? Well, you got to vote. I hate to say it. It sounds terrible, and everyone feels like their vote doesn't count, but you still have to vote, and you have to know which one of your representatives and which of your senators are supporting getting vaccines and vote them out and let them know this is not okay. And granted, we don't have any say over the FDA because they're not elected, and the FDA can handpick who they want to sit on the which board to recommend how a vaccine is being administered under emergency use. There is no emergency for kids under 17. Well, we're running into, we're getting to the end of the school year right now. We're going into summer vacation. We've got the summer off. We're not going to really have to worry about this until it comes to September and then going back to re-enroll in school. But I just can't even imagine how they can make it mandatory. uh, Or I mean, that's kind of, it's a huge problem because uh, does that mean that people are not going to be uh, allowed to come back to school if they don't get if they don't get the vaccine? Well, it's obviously a problem to get your education stunted because you can't get into school. But from a health perspective, you're getting a treatment that is, in your words, useless; in my words, ineffective and possibly harmful. Right. That's that's against the Hippocratic oath: do no right. harm. Our entire FDA has broken their vows. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, it, it, you know, when we're talking about this is a population medicine problem, these are the things that are going against us mm-hmm. when we want to just work on prevention of chronic illness. Mm-hmm. These are the forces going against us. COVID is just a great example of uh, sh- shine the light on how all this is about driving money to pharma and to surgeries, you know, treating end-stage disease tr- and, and getting a pharmaceutical product out there. Um, doctors and, and research about identifying earlier disease isn't really about preventing disease. It's about finding earlier opportunities to intervene with a procedure or finding some pathway for a pharmaceutical company to come in. And right. it's, it's not about identifying opportunities to change lifestyle, educate people, and apply a more holistic approach. It's about getting pharma products out. Unfortunately, what you're just talking about there is access to medical care, which is very paltry right now at this time in this country. But anyway, Ashley, you have a caller. Yes, we have Jesse calling from Richmond. Jesse, what's your question? Um, My question is for the doctor's thoughts on keto and carnivore. Um, I've been leaning a little more toward keto just over a year now, eating more fat than I ever have. And my cardiac risk is uh, lower than it's ever been. And I'm considering not going full carnivore, but more like I guess what they're calling ketovore. Uh, It seems to be 
Uh, it makes a lot of sense on paper and logically, and I know they've done some studies, and it's supposedly curing a lot of people's chronic diseases. So I'm oh, just good. curious for your thoughts on that. Well, how are you measuring your cardiac risk? You know, what's what data are you following to say I'm a carnivore and my cardiac risk is going down? Um, my physical examination paperwork from my PCP, the um, been tracking. Uh, things for years now, and um, I just had uh, my last physical in March, and all my numbers were great. And according to their statistics on their, um, you know, the physical from the fasting blood test results, my cardiac risk is lower than it's ever been. So unfortunately, that cardiac risk calculator um, is what's being used to gauge how we prevent disease in people. With and and it. The bottom line is it tells you whether or not you should be on a statin, whether you should be on a medium-strength or a high-strength statin, and that's what that calculator is for. And using that calculator, the number of deaths in America have gone from 600,000 a year to 650,000. 700,000. Now it's up to 700,000. So the calculator that you're using to decide your risk is actually broken. It doesn't decide risk because more and more deaths are happening in America from cardiovascular events. Specifically, right. heart and attack. I don't trust their. Um, and I know the numbers have to be viewed on a certain, uh, you know, outlook. And I definitely don't trust my PCP in general to care about um, my health as far as preventing it. So, well, um, but that's you what know, you that's, just said. You just said your PCP gave you the data that you've been following for years using the risk calculator, and based on that, you feel like you've been lowering your risk on the diet that you're on. Unfortunately, that data doesn't identify risk. So um, the people that study, that are doing real research on prevention, are all pointing toward a more heavily plant-based diet. And this is scientific research. Humans do not need a lot of protein to live. Um, Granted, keto or high-fat diets, staying away from sugar, can help you lose weight quickly, but then for most people that are doing it, it becomes an atherogenic diet, and and you just don't have the data. You need to look at your arteries, um, measure your CIMT, get vascular inflammation markers, which you're just not doing with your PCP. Um, no one in my practice is on a keto diet, and they're not uh, and they're not on a carnivore diet. Nobody. What's an atherogenic diet? Diet that promotes plaque pr- production. I see. Yeah, it's no one's doing that. Um, there's no data supporting uh, long-term data supporting high-fat diets for prevention. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't exist because it doesn't work. It's amazing how this caught on, though, because I've heard of a lot of people that go on this keto diet and they think it's the be-all and end-all. But well, it's appealing sudden, because it's you will lose me. weight quickly. Whoop-de-doo. What right, does the matter if you die of a heart attack? Yeah. I mean, come well, on. What no one knows is that Atkins, who did the Atkins diet, which is a you know, high-fat diet, he died of heart failure and kidney failure at like age 72. Oh, my gosh. You know, they put out a rumor that he got hit by a brick falling off his building in the winter, but really he died of the diseases he thought he was preventing. The diet doesn't work. Yeah, I don't think keto's up to much either. Anyway, in the meantime, we've got to take a quick break. You are listening to a special live broadcast tonight where the topic is your health and how to prevent disease. When we come back, if you have a specific question on the subjects we're discussing tonight, 
and you would like to talk to the doctor directly, please call us at 800-859-0957. Again, that number is 800-859-0957. You're listening to News Talk 760. WJR. Welcome back to the final segment of our special weekly live broadcast here on News Talk 760 WJR on the importance of being proactive and informed of the resources available to prevent and treat chronic and debilitating disease. You're listening to the expert advice of Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and one of the very few specialists in prevention in this country. If you have a question for the doctor, now is your chance to call us at 800-859-0957. Again, that number is 800-859-0957. And once again, I'm asking you to tune in to our Dr. Calder Sunday show, Sundays at 3 p.m. for more information. So, Dr. Calder, we just had a caller that's, you know, mesmerized by this keto diet, which, as you said, it causes plaque. I think people need to know that. You know, the problem in this country with healthcare is that the doctors don't have time to give you any nutrition or lifestyle uh, recommendations, period, in five minutes. So everyone's on their own to get their own information, and they're on social media and they're on the Internet, which is, of course, garbage. And whoever's selling something, whoever's something to sell, they're on, you know, they're on social media, and if they're appealing to your sensibility, you're going to go that way. Um, you know, if you want to eat a lot of protein, well, then there's someone online giving you a diet that sounds good to you. Unfortunately, the people doing long-term research are coming up with different things entirely, which is we really should be mostly eating plant-based. There's a lot of diet doctors out there who are arguing over a few ounces of protein. I mean, they're writing, there's how many books out there about what to eat and Basically, they're the same book, which is eat a lot of vegetables. Um, and they're arguing, again, over a couple ounces of protein mm-hmm. um, and what's okay and what isn't okay or don't eat any protein or that. In general, if you are eating a clean, healthy diet, and what that means to me is mostly plant-based, um, organic um you know, you want to know where your food's coming from because the pesticides cause gut dysbiosis. It causes injury to your lining. It causes insulin resistance. It causes unbalances your hormones. All of those things are caused by chemicals in our food and synthetic hormones in our animals. And, you know, you want to have clean whatever it is. Once again, I'm really surprised that the patients who have doctors and the doctors are not counseling them on the dangers of these types of diets, which are basically useless and can cause disease. But I'll get off my soapbox because Ashley has a caller. Yes, we have Bob calling from Detroit. Bob, what's your question? I'd like to know some information about Parkinson's disease. I was recently, uh, last spring, I was uh, saying, doctor said I had Parkinson's, so I was recently discovered told I had Parkinson's. Well, Bob, thanks for calling and sorry to hear about that. Um, you know, from a preventive aspect, uh, Parkinson's is considered type 3 diabetes um, to preventive doctors. So, you know, type 1 is generally juvenile onset diabetes. It's mediated by an autoimmune 
condition where you develop antibodies to your um, pancreas. Uh, adult onset type 2 diabetes is more genetic or epigenetic is what I would say and is environmentally induced. Um, most of us have, or people out there have type 2 diabetes. It's driven by insulin resistance. Um, from from a pers- uh, my perspective, insulin resistance can also cause Parkinson's. So whereas Parkinson's is just another way of chronic inflammation to present itself if you're predisposed to that way. So I'm guessing that w- whether or not you have diabetes, you have insulin resistance. So you may not have been diagnosed per se with diabetes, but you have all of the markers of insulin resistance that we talk about on the show all the time. High triglycerides, low HDL, um, number one, um, high non-HDL cholesterol numbers. These are signs that you can look at as someone who's has insulin resistance. You're on, the, or maybe you've been told you're pre-diabetic. It's all the same thing. Um, it drives uh, Parkinson's. So, you know, movement is the most important thing for you to do. There's classes um, about boxing. Um, there's a company, it's a nonprofit called Rocksteady, and they have boxing gyms all over the place. They're all over Michigan, too. You can go and sign up. And so boxing skills actually help you a lot with Parkinson's. So I would recommend going and finding a Rocksteady class near where you are. Good information. But as you're talking to this caller, I'm wondering to myself, how in God's name did his doctor let him get to this stage? Because if Parkinson's, Parkinson's is indeed the stage three diabetes or whatever you classified it as, and we talk about the fact that diabetes can be prevented and avoided, what happened to the doctor that saw him 15 or 20 years ago? They're just not looking at it. Why you not? Know? Well, because the system's broken and doctors aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing anymore. Um, the the people are driven by what they can prescribe a drug for, what the FDA calls a disease. And they really haven't established insulin resistance as a disease that, that you can prescribe medication for because it would cause too many people to get medication. You know, insurance companies would go broke um, filling scripts and paying for pharma products for insulin resistance. They're the same drugs that you use to treat diabetes. So um, it requires somebody who recognizes insulin resistance, which could be any doctor, and spending the time to educate somebody. I mean, I don't think that I knew 10 years ago that insulin resistance caused Parkinson. This is still kind of new. But mm-hmm. so unfortunately, once you have Parkinson's, you have it. You, you, you've lost cells. You have an end-stage disease. It, this is for the listeners who are pre-diabetic or have insulin resistance, who have high triglycerides, recognizing this is a condition that you may never become diabetic but you're going to develop Parkinson's or some other neurodegenerative disease. You know, maybe it'll be MS or maybe it'll be ALS, even though they're a lot less common. You just don't know. It could be dementia. I mean, insulin resistance definitely contributes to dementia. So making the hard choices to eat healthier now are going to pay off down the road. And you've just got to know that that's why you're doing it. Well, he already has the disease, so I'm just wondering where the doctors were that were that he was in the care of whatever doctors before that 
let him walk down this road, walk down this journey. And like you said, you didn't know what insulin resistance was, but now I guess every doctor knows what it is. A lot of this is, I know they don't. They really don't. That's not good you know, news. They, they, they know what they may know what it is in general, but they don't know to look for it earlier. They don't know to talk to their patients about it. I mean, you know, after insulin resistance is like, again, these are random data points and random uh, things to say, but you may say you're insulin resistant, then you're pre-diabetic. They're still not treating people for pre-diabetes. They're still not giving them a hardcore um, discussion about lifestyle and exercise to help reduce insulin resistance and, and the chance of turning back diabetes or using hormones to improve your body's metabolism so you don't become diabetic. They're not talking about that because there's no drug for it. When you're diabetic, now here's a garbage pill metformin that doesn't really do anything. And they do, then they're on metformin for a while. It's a sad story, but it just, again, makes me think that every patient has to be their own advocate. Find a doctor that specializes in prevention so they don't get these deadly diseases. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, so I'd quickly like to thank Dr. Brian Collender, MD, specialist in prevention for being here tonight and for being willing to share his expertise and knowledge with regards to not only the prevention of disease, but also the importance of being proactive and engaging with a practice that provides access to the necessary testing. This show is brought to you by Colander Medical. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin. We hope you got some useful information tonight on how to be your own advocate and take charge of your health, whatever your medical journey. Please continue to tune in to our shows Sunday afternoon at 3 Thursday evening at 7 p.m. for the latest medical updates. And thanks for listening to News Talk 760 WJR. Good night and be well.